Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you're having a good day so far. Today we have a very special guest to talk about body language and nonverbal communication. Our guest today is Jan Hargrave, and I use nonverbal communication a lot in my business because I do interviews with all sorts of people, some who are witnesses, some who are defendants in civil and criminal cases, and it's always great to have an idea of what to look for in people's eyes or their gestures, their body language, and try to determine what they're really thinking and whether or not they're telling you the truth. And I've used information from Jan and, and folks like Jan for many years, so it's great to have her on the show today. Just a little bit about her. Jan is a professional speaker, distinguished lecturer, author of Let Me See Your Body Talk, Free Way of Love, Judge the Jury, and Strictly Business Body Language, and I might add also now Poker Face. So welcome, Jan. Tell us a little Hi, bit about yourself. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I know how you like the name of that book, that last book, Vicki, Poker Face. Pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've been in the business of body language for a long time. I'm so glad that you find some value in it, too, for what you do. I mean, it, it's sometimes, years ago, I don't think people thought it was a very serious science, but then, you know, as we had more court cases that used it, and then as TV people talked about body language, I think finally, you know, uh, the world see that it's a, a valuable, valuable part of, of understanding what someone's thinking while they're speaking with you. Yeah, I think it's a tremendous asset to those of us who are in this business or law enforcement or uh, just about any business, uh, attorneys when they have to read jurors, just about any business actually or anybody can can gain from knowing some of the right. stuff that I you're going to talk about today. Who, yeah, right. Even someone who's going on a job interview or someone who's negotiating with someone else if they can understand just a tiny bit of nonverbal, then I think they might get the upper hand. You know, they could figure out if someone was being loyal or if someone was being honest or someone was uh, maybe trying to pull the wool over their eyes just by understanding a few basic, basic pieces of information about body language. And tell us a little bit, Jan, about your training and your background and, and why you got into this. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Louisiana and went to college there and then ended up teaching college there and then moving to Houston. I live in Houston now and then teaching at the University of Houston, but when I was in a graduate psychology class um, working on my master's degree, I had a professor, and he was, um, I mean, really intense, and he was fun, and he had great ideas, and he walked in class one day, and he'd, he'd just point at someone, and he'd say, I know what you are thinking, and then he pointed at someone else, and he'd say, I know what you are thinking, and then one day he pointed at me, and he said, Jan, I know what you are thinking, and I said, you know, how can this old fool know what I'm thinking, because it always wasn't too pretty. So he told us about body language, and I said, you mean that, you know, he introduced the topic to me, and I said, you mean I can look at someone for a while and tell what's really going on in their mind? And he said, yeah, you know, if you studied it enough, you could. And I remember thinking to myself, Vicky, because I was dating someone at the time, so then I said to my professor, I said, so when this man tells me he loves me, I can figure out if he's telling the truth or not. And he said, oh, yeah, you can do it. I said, wow, I need to learn this stuff. So at first I just was intrigued with the topic, and I thought, wow, you know, if I learned a little bit about this, I'd have the advantage in any kind of conversation. And I was starting my teaching career. I was starting my counseling career. So I, um, I, I began doing minor research at first. It was just kind of fun. I'd turn in a paper here, turn in a paper there. And I guess I'm really, um, if someone gives me some kind of praise, and I will go to the nth degree to, to do it a little, a little bit better. So I got some good grades on all of the papers I turned in about nonverbal. So that, it kind of fueled it. And then everything from that moment on for the rest of my college career, 
every single paper I did had something to do with nonverbal communication, whether it was nonverbal communication during um, a couple's interaction, nonverbal communication during a job interview, nonverbal communication during a presentation, because that's really important there, nonverbal communication during a negotiation. So it just, it just continued, it continued. Then I did my master's thesis in body language and then ended up uh, getting another degree and did a dissertation. In, but the way that I began teaching the classes, I was teaching at the university level, and I'm a business major, psychology minor. So I was teaching business courses during the day, and most colleges will do this. They'll come in, they'll say to professors, why don't you teach a class at night in an area that you are doing extensive research in? And we would typically in those days say yes because they would offer to pay us just a bit more. So then I said, okay, you know, I had done years and years of research with teens. We'd go and take pictures of people sitting various ways on bench park benches and come back and analyze. Are people getting into a room for a meeting and how they were sitting? What were they carrying? So we would, you know, teams of people would analyze and then we would put all our, our information together. So then I started teaching the class. And think about this, maybe 20 years ago when I began teaching it, it was only criminal justice majors or pre-law majors who would be interested in taking the class. So I, w I would bring them, and nowadays, so I think anyone who has to communicate has got to have a tiny bit of interest, you know, in understanding body language. So I would take them in and I would teach them signs of dishonesty, signs of honesty, signs of confidence, signs of nervousness, the whole bit. And I, I also do handwriting analysis because it is a huge part of uh, body language jury selection. So I would teach them that. And then at the last class meeting every semester, I would instigate a to tell the truth game panel show. I would bring out three people who my class did not know. Two would be imposters, though, and one was of a true profession. And the first time I taught it, I did. I brought out a nun because I had gone to a Catholic school. There were a lot of nuns then in southwest Louisiana. Brought out a nun, and I said, you look, I need you to come to my class on this night. But I said, you cannot wear your nun's habit. I said, just wear a regular suit. And then I had to find myself two other ladies who looked, you know, somewhat nunly, too. So then as each lady came in, I would say, who are you? And the first one would say, well, I am Sister Mary Teresa. And the second would say, no, I am Sister Mary Teresa. And the third, I remember, would always put her hands on her hips and say, I am the real Sister Mary Teresa. And then my class each had about maybe five minutes to ask questions of, of these three ladies, maybe how many beads on a rosary does the priest really drink the wine? I don't recall what they asked them, but just in those five minutes of asking these three people a question, they could study their body language because I had taught them that much during the semester to figure out which ones were telling the truth and, and which two were telling a lie and which one was telling the truth and, and then determine who was the real sister. So that's how it kind of began for me. It just kind of dabbled in it. And then, and then from there, you know, I started speaking on the subject area. But years ago, people kind of, you know, just didn't think of it as very serious, but they were still hiring me to speak. And then then it just got to where it was intense, and uh, now I've been doing this, I think, 10, almost 11 years, just speaking full-time, going to, to industry, going to attorneys, and teaching them, you know, what are the aspects of, of secure nonverbal communication, what are some good things to do, what are some negative things to do, and it just snowballed, and then I wrote the first book, and then it kind of went crazy after that. Then, you know, I started doing TV, I did a lot of Montel show and Maury show, and you know, pr predominantly at first when I did TV, it was always about love. How can I tell if he loves me or mm -hmm. how can I tell if she loves me? And then it got to be serious, and now industry more so uses me on, you know, how to, be how to read someone when they're coming right there in front of you during a conversation. So that's yeah, kinda, and I think, uh, I, I, I think from that aspect, too, 
first impressions are very important. When you first meet somebody or when somebody walks into a room and you can tell things about their body language that indicate yeah. almost immediately uh, think, what kind of person they're yeah, going to be. Yeah, I think within, like, I think the, the research has four, four seconds, even five seconds. You can determine sometimes their education level. You can develop, you can determine how honest you think they are. You can determine their level of compassion. I mean, we make snap judgments of people the moment that we see them, but they also make judgments of us the moment that they see us. And the percentages work this way. Uh, research says that 55% of a person's communication is nonverbal, 55%. So that is why the moment we see them, you know, we decide, do I like them? Do I trust them? Do I want to have a conversation with them? 38% of a person's communication simply comes from voice inflection. As our voices go up or down, wow, that says to people, I'm excited about being here. I'm glad to see you. And then only 7% of an actual communication comes from the words that people say. And that's mm -hmm. where they get that term, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, and I think, too, the, the way people are dressed, the way their hair is combed, the way if, whether it's long or short, and whether they have facial hair or not, all those things facial go hair, toward... What kind of shoes they wear. Yeah, know, all those I, things I, go toward uh, that. Right. You know, when I speak in front of an audience, you know, I, I can just kind of scan the audience and, um, you know, just tell you a few little things about each person by looking at the types of shoes they have, the, the kind of shirt they wore the, that day, even the colors that people wear, because sometimes the more outlandish a person's personality is, the more wild the colors that they will wear will be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't think by that, but you know, black is kind of mysterious, like I'm not telling you everything I want to tell you. So just those tiny things are the kind of handbag they carry. Um, how prepared they are if they come into the room with you for a job interview. Do they have all their papers in a folder? Do they have to, you know, dig, dig, dig in a suitcase for the papers they want to give you? All of well, that. Speaking, you know, of, level. speaking about that in job interviews, what, what should someone do when they walk in a room and talk about the handshake and talk about okay. the first, in, first things that they should do to make good impressions? Yeah, well, you know, even prior to the handshake would probably be the good eye contact because the eyes are the windows to the soul. And, you know, our moms always said to us, you look at me when I'm talking with you, and I think that's just how society. And, you know, we can even talk about cult some cultures, though, you know, I don't want to just scan over this and not say this, that some cultures, you know, they are taught not to look at you as, as a sign of respect. But I think once someone is in, in America for quite a while, we, we, we are so trained to that we have to look at people, we have to look at people that I think even people who come here from other countries now realize that, you know, we need that eye contact to know that you're willing to listen to us. So the very first thing, of course, when someone comes into a room would, you know, definitely be the eye contact. And then the big thing is that kind of handshake they give you because uh, the secure handshake tells a lot about your level of self-esteem. It just says, I feel good about me. And if someone's not willing to give you a firm handshake when they come into that office to have an interview with you, then I don't know how much confidence you can place in them to have a, a position with you. And, and the best kind of handshake, Vicki, is, is call, it's called a web-to-web. -web, and web is where the web of my right hand would be touching the web of your left hand. And web is right there between where the thumb and the pointer finger is. So we call it web-to-web, -web, and then it allows each you and I to have a really good firm handshake so that... That handshake says, I'm positive today, I'm confident today, I want to have this job. Um, another thing, too, that I often mention when I speak to audiences is that every time that you do get to handshake with someone or have a meeting with someone, you have two excellent opportunities for handshakes. You have an entrance handshake and you have an exit handshake. And so sometimes if you find the entrance one was not to your liking, 
then you can think that sometimes during the meeting, by golly, by the time I leave here, you know, I'm going to make sure that I give them a good handshake. And then there are other types of handshakes. Sometimes people will shake your hand and their whole palm is facing the ground. And I think you can understand kind of what I, I'm, I'm showing, Vicky. Yeah. You know, when their hand completely faces the ground, it is a sign of, of control on their part. When the hand is facing the ground, it typically says that they're thinking, I want to make the final decision about everything that we discuss, you know, and I want to control this conversation. When someone gives you their hand to shake it and their palm is completely facing upward, upward-facing palms are signs of, of acceptance and almost kind of giving in. So if someone gives you the hand this way, it, it almost says they're of a weaker personality. The absolute best way to shake hands is the parallel, you know, the, the straight up and down handshake and the web-to-web handshake. And one okay. other thing that's kind of funny that we teach at the college level is that the correct number of pumps in a handshake is three. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? I pump yeah. like ten times sometimes, but... You know, they say that three. Well, you know, the the grabbing the grabbing of the fingertips is what I hate. I don't like somebody to shake right. my hand and they grab my fingertips. And men are bad about doing that to women because they think women don't want a strong handshake. But I do. Right. Oh, I do too. Women who um, want to feel equal in the in American society of business, they want an equal handshake. I think you know years back, and I don't want to say anything negative about guys, but you know, I think years back, their moms had taught them, you know, you be gentle with the lady; she's softer, you know, than you are. Mm-hmm. So. Men, out of kindness, sometimes will still give that old-fashioned handshake, but I think that kind of has to do with age level. I don't think a young man of 40 or 50 in a business situation has not yet been trained to know that a woman of equal status with him wants an equal status kind of handshake. So Jana, I, I was just going to say, we're, we're going to take a quick break. and I- Our special guest today is Jan Hargrave, and you can call in with any questions to, at, to the number 646-652-2071. We welcome your calls. Jan, we were talking about interviews and handshakes and eye contact, and I want to go in a little bit to what some of our listeners, and you know, professionals like me, want one thing sometimes, but... Average folks who might meet people at parties or might be introduced to someone that they are going on a date with or who might be interested in dating them look for other things sometimes. What are what are some easy things to remember when you first meet somebody that will give you some clues about personality and honesty? Yeah, you know, because when, when you said that, it, it also made me think of this, that... Um, like an extra added part of that handshake to let you know that that you could do, let's say it's something that you could do to let them know that you are sincerely interested in the conversation with them and, or that sometimes they do to, to you and it's called anchoring and I'll kind of explain what that is so Vicki if I'm shaking if our right hands are touching each other and we're shaking and I take my left hand and I touch you somewhere between the wrist and the elbow you kind of get what I'm saying yeah you know, I'm kind of, I'm holding on to you between the wrist and the elbow in fact in between the wrist and the elbow is the only acceptable area that we can touch another who we don't know well yet you know okay. if if I touch you on the shoulder and you're not my friend yet I'm kind of invading your personal space so sometimes you have to kind of get to know people before you you know, feel too, too touchy with them. But the anchoring gesture that I would do if I touch your right hand with my left hand between the wrist and the elbow, it is a gesture that says, I am fully present in this conversation. It just stops you for a few minutes. You give the other person good eye contact. 
and you validate that person as an individual. Because so many times people shake your hand and then they dismiss you. If mm-hmm. you are holding on to them there during the handshake, there is no way that they will leave you until you're absolutely ready to have that conversation finished. And then one other thing before we leave handshakes so that people can know the intensity of another person's conversation, the correct way to shake hands is to completely square your shoulders to your partner's shoulders. Because it always says in, in body language, and you can use it as a, as a part at a party or in a meeting, that people will point their feet in the direction that their mind wants to go. So if my feet are not pointed towards you while I'm shaking your hand, that means I'm not fully involved in the conversation that you and I are having. If I would be shaking your hand and my feet are pointed to the door, that's letting someone who's watching us know <laughs> that I really want to make an exit. And I want to right. You're not going to be engaged in it for sure. Right, right, right. So, so that's one thing that people can kind of be aware of. of let's say they first meet someone at a party or they first meet someone in a business setting is, is how intense that handshake is and how much uh, that person is, is, is right there. You know, um, and the word I would try to say is that not available, but that they're intensely engaged with you instead of their mind running around or their eyes running around the room instead of being looking at you. Um, also, whether it's a party or an interview, let's just mention the crossed arms for a minute so that people can understand that sometimes it is okay to cross because if I have my arms in front of my body, and I think all our listeners can kind of picture this, my arms are in front of my body and you cannot see my hands. My hands are tucked in under my arms. That is a negative, negative seating position. It's called defensiveness in body language. And it does give a message that says, I want to really think like I think now and I don't even want to think like what you are thinking. I don't want to let your thoughts penetrate the way I feel. We place things in front of us, such as our arms, so that another person's thoughts don't enter our, our feelings and our, and our way of thinking. When I teach classes on this, I tell them that the only acceptable arm crossing that we allow and teach in college negotiating classes is when the hands are visible during the arm crossing. It could be one hand or it could be both hands. You know, if I'm crossed and my hands are above my, um, the, uh, my upper arms, it is, it is more of... Um, a gesture that says, I'm in contemplation. I'm taking in what you're saying. I'm not fully agreeing with it, but at least I'm taking it in. It's so you want your hands to show and not have your hands you underneath. Your hands and if, if your hands are uh-huh. showing, you're more engaged, and you're not shutting the person out totally because right. the, the, the hands a, underneath seem to me to show boredom and obstinance, I think. Yeah, it's defensiveness. When the hands are showing, it, it's called, we call it a resting position or a coach's position. Because I don't want to tell our listeners never to cross. It's too comfortable to cross. But if ever they have to cross during a meeting, make sure that some of the hand is showing. But I would never suggest that someone would cross while they're having an interview with someone or having a negotiation with someone or, or talking with someone who they want to attract. I mean, if you're talking with someone who you really don't like at a party, uh, someone coming on to you, then shoot, yeah, you know, cross the arms. But if you want them to know that you're readily, av- you know, that you're available to suggestion and that maybe you would, you know, chat with them further, then make sure that the arms are not crossed. That's what I, I have a, uh, I have a chat question that came in from a okay. listener, and I wanted to ask you. She's asking that when a date ends and the guy says, I'll call you, <laughs> how can you tell if he really will or if he's lying? Not just by his voice, but by his actions. Yeah, you know, that is the number one uh, lying. That's the number one lie. And I have some list, Some of those listed in my book, Freeway of Love. I listed 101 most often told lies that lovers tell each other. Mm-hmm. And the number one is that when it's called, you know, uh, I'll call you. The thing is this, we can, we'd have to go into the body language of dishonesty to tell if he's going to tell you the truth or not. 
you know, and then we can also even talk about how to tell from a person's voice on the phone or their text message when they say, I'll call you if they're going you know, to call you I, or not. I, I get tickled sometimes because one of the, one of the, first things I was taught is if somebody is saying something to you like I'll call you but at the same uh-huh. time they're shaking their head left and right in the no right. I'll call right. you sure and and yeah. you automatically know and I, I watch people on TV I find myself watching right people who are interviewed on television that when they answer a question and they're saying yes but their head is saying no right and you know and just just like we said earlier the actions speak louder than words You'd have mm-hmm. to place more weight on the on the action instead of on the words that they're saying. Just like if someone says, oh, "Do you love me?" and they say, "Yeah," but their head is going in a no. I think maybe the no would have the you know the larger impact. So to to the question that was asked of us about when they say, "I'll call you," how could you really really decipher if they're in person if they're telling you the truth or not? And uh, <clears throat> I'll get into some dishonesty guesses if you don't mind right now. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. So that, you know, when you're looking at someone and you're talking with them, I'll give you the three biggest gestures of dishonesty that are proven in the courtroom, proven in all the research that we've ever done with nonverbal. When someone is uncomfortable with what they're telling you and probably not telling you the truth, they have a huge tendency to gesture with their left hand and touch something on the left side of their face. And it's not that our left-handed friends lie more than our right-handed friends. The only reason the left hand is used for dishonesty because... The left hand is controlled by the right side of the brain. The right brain is the fun side. It's the comical side. It is the side that can make up a story. So when someone tells a lie, it does come from the right side of the head. And the motor skill, because all of our motor skills uh, from one side of the brain is, is control, it controls the opposite side of the body. So when the lie is coming out of the brain, the hand that is used is, is going to be the left hand. And when someone is, is uncomfortable with what they're telling you, they're going to try to touch their face, and the reason they try to touch their face is that they are trying to distract you from the words that are coming out of the mouth. One of the biggest gestures of, of dishonesty, they'll take the left index finger, and as they're telling you a non-truth, they will quickly and nervously begin to rub up and down the left side of the nose. Typically, the liar goes up twice with the finger pointed up twice, then they'll kind of bend the finger, and then they'll rub, and they'll go underneath the nose and come out twice. It is a gesture. It's called a manipulator in body language. It is simply done so that you, you, you're not looking at their mouth and you're more so are watching the hand and you're not paying attention to what they're telling you. So, Vicki, if someone ever tells you, yeah, I'll call you, and they kind of rub the left side of their nose, I mean, I'm telling you, they're probably never going to call you. <laughs> it's, it's a lie. And the other is, uh, the other, there's three. The other, all three are predominantly done with the left hand. It's taking the left index finger and and, and like constantly, constantly tugging at the left eye. It has to be left and left, though. Tugging mm-hmm. at the left eye gives a message that says, do not see very clearly what I'm saying because I'm not being very truthful with you. And I know you've seen people, they may tug on the eye and they may say to you, yeah, that looks real good on you. Or they're just a fibbing, fibbing each time. <laughs> and then the third one, and this one, I know that people who are listening know this one, um, it is the, the left hand tugging at the left ear. And I have seen people have entire conversations, you know, just kind of rubbing that ear, rubbing that ear when they're saying something. That, that is a, one, a, another huge manipulation. There is no sense that someone has the touch of their ear that long while they're telling you something if they feel comfortable with what they're telling you. They're tugging because they're trying to distract you from the information coming from the mouth. I mean, those are Wait. three big ones. We've got a couple of listeners who who have 
chatted and made pretty good points, and, I, and I've noticed this many times when I've talked to people, that some people, because they're nervous and they fidget or they are giggling because of nervousness, they might be perceived as, as, as telling a lie or just being totally uninterested. But some people just have those, those actions not because right. they're lying, but because it's just part of their... Yeah, I, I understand that. But, but once someone has a little bit of training in nonverbal and they have a tendency to fidget and they know that fidgeting is associated with discomfort and un- uneasiness, they need to try as much as they can during a serious conversation with someone to not do the fidgeting or yeah. not do the, the silly giggling. You know, one, once they kind of know this, the next time they're going to do it, I hope that they think to themselves, well, I, I shouldn't be doing this little action right now. And, you know, it, it calms them down. They're like thinking, well, okay, let me just stop fidgeting as much as I'm fidgeting because fidgeting is a big sign of nervousness, you know. Yeah. So, so the yeah. thing is that you want to look as confident as you can if you're trying to get your point off to someone else or you're trying to win over a job or win over a discussion. And all this extra, even even fooling with the hair, you know, when a woman con- just constantly, constantly, mm-hmm. constantly pushes the hair back, all of those are distractions. Are well, if you want to fidget, if you want to fidget less, and you're conscious, yes. if if you can be conscious that you're fidgeting and that you're you're giving these clues out there that you don't want to give, what um, what should you do with your hands? I know you've talked about positioning of the hands, so briefly talk about that. Yeah, because when you said this, I thought you said you were going to say to me, if you have a tendency to fidget, how could you fidget, and that they would not notice that you're fidgeting. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, well, maybe underneath the table, you know, you could tap your feet and just kind of get your nervous energy out of there. But but people have to be aware that feet are the most honest of all of our body parts. And, and, and people don't think it, but people do look at your feet. You know, and toes pointed inward would be a sign of uh, insecurity. I mean, think of a little kid, you know, his toes pointed inward. Mm-hmm. Toes mm-hmm. pointed outward are a sign of confidence and when someone's sitting or a leg cross over the other and constantly, constantly kicking is a sign of impatience. So even the bottom part of the body gives almost as many messages as the top part of the body. So, so I don't know if you've... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 ask me. I, I was just thinking about what you were talking about and having watched Elena Kagan the Supreme Court Justice oh, nominee yes. over the past couple of days and and watching her sit at that table with her hands on the table and being pretty deliberate in her body language, I think, so right. that she's not giving out too much. Right. She's kind of comical, isn't she? Yeah, but, but at yeah. the same time, she's, she's, she, she is, and, and I'm sure Saturday Night Live will have fun with she it. She holds but her own, yeah. She yes, does hold her Live, on, and she... Yeah. And she's being very, to me at least, being very deliberate with her hands, keeping her fingers interlaced, keeping them on the table, not not doing too much gesturing, but yet when it's appropriate and she's trying to get a point across, she is doing some gesturing. gesturing. Right. Uh, so, so, so what would be the best thing to do with the hands? And um, you know what, I need to watch her even some more because I watched her sporadically yesterday and just thought, you know, that she was holding her own and that she wasn't going to let someone, you know, kind of take her over, She, she mm-hmm. no matter what. I, I thought she could hold her own, and and even though sometimes her shoulders are slumped, which she should probably bring them, you know, a little bit further back if she's talking. The the good thing that she does with her hands, and it's called the steeple gesture, and that's when the fingertips 
just the fingertips of the hands are touching while someone's talking. It's called a, a steeple, and steepling is one of the biggest signs of confidence I could ever teach a group, whether it's steepling with all the fingertips together or just the pointer fingers together, you know, while you're, you're you know, just casually sitting down, and I'm doing it now where just my pointer fingers would be steepled, mm-hmm. or even just having the thumb steeple. Anytime you see a steeple, it is a sign of of confidence, and this is what our research in body language says. It says that when you're confident with what you're saying, typically your steeple gesture is at chest level. And when someone is confident with what they're hearing, their steeple gesture is typically down in lap level. Mm-hmm. So just think someone, you know, negotiating with someone else, if they understood something about body language and they just happened to look at the hands for a bit, they could almost tell if they were getting their points across to that person. And I've watched you speak before, so I know you use that steeple gesture a lot. We're going to take Uh a quick break. I want people to know they can go to janhargrave.com. They can call us at 646-652-2071. And this is the Vicki Child Show on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk, and we'll be right back. Jan, I wanted to um, give out again the phone number if people want to call in, 646-652-2071, and they can reach you at janhargrave.com and order books from you, too, if they're interested. Um, During the break, I had a a chat comment about con artists and how you can look at somebody and tell whether they're being deceptive. And it brings to mind these people that have been convicted recently for Ponzi schemes and actually have taken people's money. Bernie Madoff is one, and some others who've who've been in the news recently. And how, what do they do to get people to trust them with all this money? And how can we determine yeah. if that bullshit meter is going off and they're being deceptive? You know, I mean, that think think about the war. I mean, these people like uh, Bernie Madoff and stuff. Success kind of breeds success. So when people would see that Bernie was so successful, even though he was aloof and standoffish, and of course he was that way because he didn't want anybody asking him too many questions, Mm -hmm. but because of the way probably he carried himself, and think of the word con, I mean, con is like, I'm going to convince you to do do it my way. I think it's kind of, you know, the whole bit is what a con artist is all about. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll show you how I do it, and I'm doing it so successfully that I can get you to do it this way. So I think his was like more of a following, and his success was... Uh, those other people who were under him were like, I want to be just like Bernie. He has this, he has this, he has this. But I think con artists know that. But con artists know, too, that, you know, direct eye contact is so important. So they will will stare you down, and they stare you so deeply that you almost believe what they're telling you. You know, in in research, when you're having a conversation with someone, it's about 85 or 90% to about 10%. If I'm talking with you, you know, I'm going to look at you about 90%, 85% of the time, and then about 10% of the time, my eyes will wander somewhere to get another thought to come back and speak with you. Because if I spoke with you and I stared at you 100% of the time, after a while it starts to make you uncomfortable and you'd want to leave. But this is what our con artists kind of do to us. I mean, they give us, you know, you've spoken with prisoners, and I have too. They, They make you think from their body language and their intense eye stare that they did not do this crime. That they are sure, in- and they, they also like to invade your personal space if, if there's yeah. not a window between you. They, they actually come forward and try to invade your personal space, which I don't like for right, anybody right. to do, much space less a prisoner. It's, it's, like, but it's, it's almost as though they believe that what they did had to be done. 
I mean, it's kind of like when I think of that, I think of O.J. So they believe in it so much that after a while they think that it was okay to have done. Like maybe O.J. would think, you know, she needed this done to her because she was not the true wife that she had said she was going to be to me. And so because of that in their head, they believe so much that they did was okay that they can come in front of you and say, no, I didn't do it. You know, I didn't do it because they know in their mind they did it because she needed it done to her. I mean, that's how most of, I think, our, our killers are. And they do justify it. They have all sorts of ways yeah. to justify it, and that uh-huh. certainly is one of them. She deserved but it. I, I think with Bernie and those, uh, although you said it so right when you said bullshit meter, because when something is, is so good that you kind of think, how can this be, or someone's game is too lengthy, they're in their talk, or you know this from the courtroom, too, too many, um, when someone is too chronologically correct in their story, their story is probably a made-up story. You know, they might say at 5.32 I exited Walmart, at 5.45 mm-hmm. I, I, you know, got in my car. And so when it's too chronologically exact and too detailed, you know, when, when, it's, when they're testifying or when it's a parent or listening to a child's story or a husband listening to a wife's story, if it's too chronologically correct, probably something is, is you know, fishy about the story that they're telling us. You know, let me do a couple of honesty gestures if you want, because, look, we're making everybody learn how to be a liar here. <laughs> <laughs> or learn how, to, or, or either they're learning how to see that somebody else is lying. So go ahead with your honesty gestures because I like these. Yeah, you, you can see with honesty, the biggest honesty gesture, really, honesty is done with the right hand, and it is actually when someone takes their hand, the fingers are all spread out, and they place the hand on the chest. You know, sometimes you place your hand on your chest and say, wow, I had a great time with you. Mm-hmm. That is the most sincere of all of our honesty gestures. The only negative thing about learning body language is that Someone could lie to us and do the honesty gesture because actions speak louder than words, and we think, wow, they're telling me the truth. But, you know, I think after, you know, if you listen to enough stories, but that is one is when the, the right hand is placed over the heart, you know, and someone's talking right. almost similar to the pledge. And also a big honesty gesture, and men tend to do this with more than women do, is that when they're talking with you, their hands are kind of, their fingers are spread out, and their hands are facing upward almost as though they're pleading. Like when someone's saying, like, like no, I didn't go there. I, I was here all night. But it is an honesty gesture, and it's kind of a pleadingly honesty gesture, but it is one that people do that is associated with honesty. Yeah. yeah. And it, we, um, we know, too, in... In my profession, at least, I've attended a lot of civil and criminal trials and watched a lot of people, not only from interviewing them, but also in courtrooms and trying to make a determination about whether they're lying. And one of the things you do is is, is say, when somebody in, in court raises their right hand, how do you know yeah, let me when do, they let raise me, that hand? You know, uh, I usually say to people who are trying to just experiment with themselves and see how honest they would be, and so I, I say, well, please raise your right hand and let's pretend that you're saying I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in the courtroom. So those people who are listening, if you want to try this, you can. You know, just raise your right hand and just pretend for a second that you would be sitting there, actually sitting there, saying I promise to tell the truth for a, sec- for a minute and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And d- just stop and freeze your hand just for a second. And I want the listeners to just look at their hand, and I'm going to analyze it even from here because there are five positions that people will place their hand in when they're listening to you. Some of you probably have your hand up, your fingers are wide apart, and your hand is rigid. I'll tell you what that says about your personality. Some of you listening probably have your hand up and your fingers are tight together. I'll tell you what that says about your personality. Some of you who are listening probably will have your hand bent, and I'll tell you what that even says about you. Some people who who are listening probably have two fingers together and two fingers apart. I am worried about you. 
and then some people even will stand up, you know, in the courtroom and their hand will bend backwards. And so I'll tell you even what that says about our listeners. The first one was when the hand is up and the hand is, is really rigid and the fingers are spread out. When someone is this way in the courtroom, it usually says that they are terrified and they will tell us the whole truth. So if anybody who's listening ever has to go into the courtroom, make sure that your hand is that way. The second one is equally good. I, my hand was up, but my fingers were tight together. Even if the thumb is away, if the fingers are tight together, it's called an analytical honesty. It typically says that this person will tell us the truth, but we will have to pull it out of them. And the third one, my hand was bent. And anytime the hand is bent, it usually says that that person will try to lie to us. And when Bill Clinton started his testimony, in fact, his hand was bent that way. And I said, you know, this is not going to be a good day for old Bill. <laughs> In the fourth one, I had two fingers together and two fingers apart. But think about what I said. Anytime fingers are apart, that's a readily type of honesty. And then when fingers are tight together, it's an analytical honesty. So this person would give us both types of responses. And then lastly, I just bit my hand backwards when I, you know, some people bend their hand backwards. When someone bends the hand backwards when they're taking the oath, it usually says, that they're going to bend over backwards to get you to believe them, but will be typically telling you a lie. So it's a minor, minor experiment, and I tell people, now when you go home this evening and you see your spouse, you can always say, now, honey, what have you been doing today? And as they begin their story with you, just say to them, can you finish telling me that and put your right hand up? And then you can look to see if it's straight or it's bent. But it is a, a thing of the courtroom. And, and so when, when um, the lady who you know is going to maybe be on the Supreme Court I did not grasp how she, she, she did put her hand, but I should have looked well. But, you know, when Barack took the oath, I mean, I always watch those things when people take the oath. And so when we see her take the oath, it'll be interesting to see how her hand and her fingers are. Yeah, uh -oh. I, I, um, I got another chat question. I don't know if you have had an, a chance to watch the lady in, in Oregon on TV whose stepson oh, yes, is I missing did. from the school. Yes, so what about her Let body language? About her body language. And I thought last night I need to call Nancy Grace and tell her that she <laughs> needs to get me on there so I can tell her what's going on. Okay, because you, know, you, had, you had another lady who does body language. She really didn't do body language. She just talked about, I don't know, some other things with the lady. But if you look at her carefully, when she is like close to her husband and in her husband's arms, you, you notice that? And they have the yeah. little round circle. You can see, okay, she looks down, and then what she's going to do, she's going to look up to see where the camera is, and mm -hmm. then she'll put her eyes back down. Mm -hmm. Anybody who is that distraught is not going to be looking up to see where the camera is, okay? And yeah. then when she gets close to the, must be the baby's real mother, yeah, she, the, she, the she mother. comes to the, close to the baby, and she's, sitting, and she's standing there, and the mother is wiping herself with the tissue. She does the very same thing. She, she has her eyes, you know, the, the, the stepmother has her eyes kind of closed, and then she'll open her eyes real big, and she'll glance at the real mother. If that, I think that's the real mother, right? Who she's yes, standing it is. next to. She'll glance at her, and then, then no tears, and then she'll close her eyes and pretend like she's really somber and hurting. She, you know, I mean, right then, that body language right there gave her away for me. Yeah, she, she's yeah. I, I think it, uh, I think. Well, the first time I saw her on TV, I immediately thought she was hiding information. In fact, I was real curious about why they brought both couples in. And if you notice, the the stepfather and the father did the speaking as opposed to uh, either the of them. And, and the yeah, yeah. And it, uh -huh. although I never I never suspected the biological mother who didn't even have custody of this child. Yeah. Certainly, the the stepmother's actions and and glances and wh where her eyes were looking and things like that and the way yeah, she leaned her head that? on the mother yeah you and, that too? yeah okay. and i had 
I had been suspicious of her from the beginning. Uh huh. And well, I'm, I'm always skeptical of any story. I'm always yeah, more skeptical I than I am of belie- believing things. I just am. And so when this happened from the very, very beginning, I just, you know, I just could kind of tell. Or like Scott Peterson, you know, you just knew. Or, or Laurie Hacking's husband. Remember, that was the group. That was a man in uh, Salt, Lake, Salt Lake City. Well, just his last name should have told us what he said. <laughs> Hacking. <laughs> lands in heaven. But most of the time when you see some, and I watched Elizabeth Edwards last night, John Edwards' wife. Right, and on I Larry King. Done, Yeah, you saw her on Larry King. I had yeah, watched I her on, when she was on Oprah, and I did her body language there for a TV show. And, and, and you know, and she, her body language was great, except at the very end when she did the show with Oprah, John comes in to speak with Oprah a little bit and to speak with Elizabeth. And mm-hmm. so um, Elizabeth, I mean, John and Oprah are speaking, and Elizabeth's off to the side, and she has her right hand, and her right hand is just kind of rubbing at her neck area, you know, just kind of going back and forth, back and mm-hmm. forth. It is a gesture that says, I'd like to choke you, is really what it says. <laughs> you know, and she's she's very loving to John, because she wants John right. to have a good relationship with the children. Which is and see, I would have been, I would have, I would have been reading at that as I can't wait to get the heck out of here because I'm going to strangle this guy and you know backstage, yeah. and I just yeah, can't that's wait. Yeah, she was thinking when she was. Yeah. Doing so even though she says you know that she wants to him to have a good relationship, she's very very angry at what he's done and oh, yeah. her family and you know like like it was you saw the very end when he asked her if she would ever you know what do you think about you know not having romantic love again in your life. Did you see that part? I didn't see that one, no. Yeah, I mean, affectionate love. She has a lot of love, but she said, I've thought about that, too, and probably my days of that are no, or none. No. Yeah. It's kind of pitiful there at the very end. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to take a, a break, Jan, and when we come back, we'll have more questions. Um, and and again, Jan, janhargrave.com. We'll talk about courtship briefly, and also I want to just touch on... Um, on the uh, the jury issue but we'll come back on the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk in just a few minutes on the Zeus Radio Network we're talking with Jan Hargrave today body language expert non-verbal communication expert and Jan touch for us on on courtship what do people do during courtship that lets us know that they're interested? They're interested in us. Okay, I'll give you one male gesture, and I'll give you one female gesture. The number one male gesture, when a guy's interested in you, Vicki, and he doesn't quite know how to tell you that he's interested in you, it is the lifting of the socks. Guys will always pull up their socks when they are nervous <laughs> around you, would like to get to know you better, but don't even know how to ask you. I mean, I live in Texas. I've seen men dig in cowboy boots for socks. It is the number one. And think of where it originates, though, because you might hear one young man say to another, he'll say, need to see this girl, she will knock your socks off. Socking <laughs> is the number one. So any of our listeners, if you're talking to a guy who's pulling up his socks and you like him, just say to him, I know it's me, just get over here. And then for women, and women are interesting to watch during courtship. A lot of a woman's gestures are done while she is seated. A woman always crosses her leg towards the man or the person she wants to attract and away from the person she, she, she does. We cross towards people we like and away from people we do not like. And then once we're cross-facing the person we want to attract, a woman will slowly start to kick her leg. A slow kick says, yeah, you look good. You never want to see her kick fast because a fast kick says, I'm really impatient with you. And then the lady's number one gesture that says, you know, I really think you look nice is still the dangling of the shoe. Women dangle their shoes and men pull up their socks. 
big, big courtship gesture. Women fool with their hair. Women, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, men fool with their hair, too. Fooling with the hair is a kind of a gesture that says, don't you think I look good right now? It's a preening gesture is that what, mm-hmm. what women will do. So if you look at your watch a lot, though, are you ready to get the heck out of there? You are ready to get the <laughs> heck out of there. Yeah, ready to end the conversation and, and just leave. And there are so many, even when a lady crosses her legs and uh, perhaps she'll clasp her hands together. Let's say she clasps her hands together and she holds her hands o- o- on that crossed upper knee. When she's mm-hmm. doing that, she's giving a message that says, you know, I'd really like to hold on to you, but I'll hold on to myself and look prim and proper. Women sit on a leg while they're having a conversation with someone to let them know that they're comfortable with them. So mm-hmm. every every uh, every gesture, exposure of wrist is a sign that says, hey, I'm available. That's why in old movies they had the, the actresses smoke cigarettes so that they could, uh, you know, expose the wrist and turn the hand this way. It was a kind of sign of sexiness. Yeah. Now I, I, we're gonna, we're running out of time soon, but I wanted to get touch on a, another topic, and that is, are you like me when when I go to parties or when I'm in crowds of people, I, I, I I'm kind of always on. I'm always a private investigator. I'm always suspicious uh-huh. somewhat. I'm always careful how much information I give to somebody I don't know, and and sometimes have been known to give them false information just to. To yeah. get them away from me and not tell them anything yeah. that, that I don't want them to know. But are you always on when you go to parties? Are you always watching people? Yeah, you know, I, I hate to say this because then it makes my friends really uncomfortable. And I tell them that I don't do it all the time, but I know that I do it all the time. You know, I'll walk into a room and I'll kind of scan the room. Even if I'm talking with someone, I can scan the room and, and probably leave there and, and tell you, well, you remember this guy in the corner with the brown shirt? You know, I can, j- just because I, I guess... You know, it's just sharpening of our observation skills. It's probably what you and I have learned to do. But I try to not make people uncomfortable when I'm talking with them. You know, there's that show Lie to Me on Fox. Yeah. If you ever watch the guy, he does what I do, but he looks at you so intensely that you would know that he's doing it when he's looking at you. So I don't do it like that. I just kind of casually glance at people. And, and, and uh, as I was mentioning to someone the other day, I don't too much tell people what I do because when I tell them that and I'm stuck on an airplane with them, they will question me to death. You know, they'll say, well, my husband does this, Jan. What does it mean? Or they always say to me, what am I thinking? I'm like, I don't even know what you're thinking. Do I even care what you're thinking? You yeah. Know, but or if always, they find out that you do handwriting yeah. analysis, they want to write yeah. something oh. so you can tell them. Yeah, so they, analyze yeah. my handwriting. Immediately, immediately they want to do that. But, I mean, that's just a part of the game. Uh, I, I'm very pleased that I've chosen this profession. No, it's it's been fun for me. It, it's been interesting, and I'm I'm so glad that it's so accepted now. I don't have to explain too much, you know, what a body language expert does anymore. I used to have to do that, so I'm just glad that America has caught up with some of the research that I did 20, 25 years ago. And I know that that, like you said, it has become more accepted, and a lot of big civil and big criminal cases now use right experts to help select a jury and to read right. that jury and figure out from the nonverbal communication right. whether that juror is going to be somebody they want on the jury or not. Correct. You see, our, our job is to look at these 60 people, perhaps, who might be the possibility of making our 12 people and decide, you know, our attorney's busy asking a question, 
but I have a chart in front of me, and everybody has a number. And if you ask someone of number 32, a question of number 32, I can jot down every piece of body language information. I can see, you know, juror number 32 giving out. And then in the afternoon with that attorney and I get a chance to have a conversation together, he might say to me, well, Jan, what do you think about number 32? And I'll say, you need to get rid of her. She hates you. She will never be for your side in the case. So my job is predominantly to watch these jurors while they're being questioned and then give feedback to my attorney to see, you know, if, if that, um, if that juror will be for our side or for the other side. But, you know, just last week I was in North Carolina. I spoke for 500 prosecuting attorneys association on jury selection and one of the things i did stress is the like likability factor you, you know for the attorney they have to be alike they have to be smart and they have to know the case but they also have to be likable because even if they have the facts and they have the case if they are not of a likable personality that juror might just totally turn against them and sure. likability is finding finding similarity between you and them it's you know, saying your inadequacies and admitting them sometimes if you feel some like, I don't know every aspect of this, but I'll tell you what I know. You know, Even in the way they dress and how much jewelry yeah. they have on and whether they look rich right. or whether they look regular, right. it, 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 all, it all plays into it. Yeah, um, and how powerful they seem and how knowledgeable they're, se- they're seeming, but that likability plays a big factor in whether that juror will go on their side or not, too. And I think the likability factor is true in our politicians, and it's true in everybody we come in contact with. Jan, we have got to go, but I, I have loved having you on today. The, the folks that have chatted have loved having you on, and I think we ought to do it again sometime, and we'll figure out some other things. I'm ready. Right. We'll do a follow-up. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. You can visit Jan at janhargrave.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Thursday on the radio. This is the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk, and I'm Vicki Childs. Thanks for joining us. Unbelievable show. Very good. Love it. Thank you.